This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 18. The Vampire of Croglin Grange. Croglin is a small village in Cumbria County, located in the northwest area of England. It lies over 250 miles northwest of London and is located close to the Scottish border and is roughly 14 miles southeast of Carlisle. The surrounding land area is primarily used for agriculture, mainly sheep. It is a quiet area with its highest documented population of roughly 362 people in 1831. Such a wealth of crawling hills and stretched land painted a sinister backdrop for the events that would take place there. The Fisher family came to the realization their house in an area known under the peculiar name of Kruglin Grange was no longer able to suit them and their growing family size. They chose to move south to Thorncombe, near Guildford, leaving behind their beloved home with its terrace from which large grounds sweep away toward the church in the hollow, and with the view, they could take your breath away. They knew the home must go to good hands. Luck would have it. They would rent or lease the home to three tenants, two brothers and a sister. The group was often spoken very highly of, and was well praised throughout the area. They were the ideal tenants to take over the single-story home, in Kroglin Grange. The brothers and sister moved into the house and spent that winter ultimately happy and satisfied in their new home. They made themselves well known in the area and became very respected by other villagers. This was now their home and where they knew that they should be. In the following summer, there was one day that was dreadfully, annihilatingly hot. The brothers lie under the trees, seeking shade and reading. The sister sat on the veranda and worked, or at least tried to work as well as she could in the scorching and exhausting summer heat. They had dinner early and chose to finish their night by sitting out on the veranda, enjoying the cool air that came with the evening. They watched the sun quickly fall over the horizon and the moon rise over the belt of trees that separated the grounds from the churchyard, watching it position itself till the whole lawn was bathed in silver light lit by the glow of moonlight, across from which the long shadows from the shrubbery fell as if embossed to a degree. 
after enjoying the cool summer's night air, they all retired for the evening, each going to their separate bedrooms of their single-story home. The sister, Amelia, was still very hot and uncomfortable from the previous afternoon heat and couldn't sleep right away. She chose to keep her shutters open to let in some of the pale glow of the full moon. As she laid there, slowly becoming more and more tired, she stared out the window, enjoying the view of the rolling hills. She spotted two distinct lights that seemed to flicker from the belt of trees. She couldn't help but stare at them as they seemed to inch nearer and become larger in size, till she realized it was a ghastly figure slowly getting closer to her. Every now and then, the figure would disappear into the shadows and then re-emerge larger and closer. Although frightened, she could not move. She didn't want to move. She tried to scream, but felt paralyzed, and her tongue seemed to stay glued to the roof of her mouth. As she continued to watch the figure, She noticed it changed its course and seemed to go around the side of the house. At that point, she shot up to unlock the lock on the inside of her door. Before she could get it open, she could hear what sounded like nails on a chalkboard, running across her bedroom window. Startled at first, and then relieved as she reminded herself, she had at least fastened the lock on the window. Despite the shutters being opened, the figure would not be able to make itself inside. All of a sudden, the sound stopped and was replaced by a light creak that seemed to work its way around her window. It appeared as though the figure was scratching and scraping the lead out of the window pane. A moment later, a diamond-shaped pane of glass fell to the floor. By this point, Amelia tried to position herself in her bed using her blanket to shield her and distract the figure. Upon looking up and out of the corner of her eye, she watched a long, bony finger stretch through the opening in the window to reach the latch and pull it open. She did all she could to scream, but again, she felt paralyzed and couldn't move a muscle. As quickly as the figure opened the lock, it was by her bedside. It proceeded to run its long, bony fingers through her hair, grabbing a handful of it and jerking her head to the side. Instantly, she felt a sharp, piercing pain in her neck and knew the figure was biting at her. She could feel the blood as it raced through her veins and exited the needle-sized holes where the figure's teeth had sunk into. At this point, the shock and paralysis ceased, Amelia was able to let out a scream, waking her brothers, and causing them to come to her rescue. To their surprise, the door was locked from the inside. They located a nearby poker to break the lock free. By that time, the creature had made its departure and was quickly escaping. One brother tended to the now unconscious sister, while the other immediately chased the creature. Unfortunately, He wasn't able to catch up to the creature as its strides were much longer than his and disappeared over the wall into the churchyard. The brother met back with the other to tend to their sister. 
Her wounds were deep, and they worried for her. However, Amelia was determined and strong-willed. She awoke and immediately said, What has happened is most extraordinary, and I am very much hurt. It seems inexplicable, but of course, there is an explanation. We must wait for it. It will turn out that a lunatic has escaped from some asylum and found his way here. The days came and went, and Amelia slowly healed back to normal. The doctor tending to her wounds couldn't believe she was very open to what had happened, and urged the brothers to take her away from the area to experience a change. They agreed and relocated to Switzerland. She immediately threw herself into the culture in the area, but as autumn quickly approached, she felt the urge to return to Croglin Grange. We have taken it, she said, for seven years, and we have only been there one, and we shall always find it difficult to let a house which is only one story high. So we had better return there. Lunatics do not escape every day. The brothers agreed, and they all soon returned to Croglin Grange. Amelia went back to her old room, making sure to close the shutters nightly. The brothers chose to bunk together in a room opposite to that of their sister, and also kept loaded pistols in their rooms, and the off chance they ever experienced another situation like that dreadful night. They continued their normal lives, and the winter came and went peacefully and happily. On a cold March night, Amelia was awoken by an all-too-familiar sound. The sound of scratching at her window. She spotted the brown-faced creature climbing up to the top of her window, peering in at her. This time, she was able to let out a scream that immediately woke her brothers. They quickly came to her aid, and after finding she was unharmed, they ran out the front door, waving their pistols in the air. They found the creature racing across the front lawn. One of the brothers shot the creature in the leg, piercing its skin. However, this did not slow the creature down. It continued as it scrambled across the wall and into the churchyard. It seemed to disappear into an old family vault. The following day, the brothers called upon the residents of Croglin Grange. They spoke of the events and gathered the townsfolk outside the opened vault. One by one, each resident made their way into the vault only to find lines of coffins. Each one was opened and mangled beyond much recognition. It appeared as though each coffin was searched and thrown around the room. However, one coffin remained intact. The lid was loose, but still donned over the opening. The group lifted the cover only to find the same brown, shriveled, withered, mummified, but still intact in its entirety, creature that was previously seen. At this point, an uproar sparked the crowd. Chatter turned to yelling, and everyone unanimously came to the decision to burn the creature. The only way to truly rid of a possible vampire. After the event that day, Croglin Grange went back to the quiet, 
normal village it was always used to. The two brothers and sister, Amelia, lived out their seven-year contract in the village and became one of the most notable and well-loved residents in the area. Reports of the dark, shriveled creature ceased after that day. It was never fully determined that the creature was in fact a vampire. However, without discounting all other details, this most likely was the first and the last incidents of a vampire in Kroglin Grange. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. Kroglin Grange. That's a sweet story. It's a sweet name. Like, it is. The name, I think, is what, what kind of uh, yeah appealed to me a little bit more. Yeah. Kroglin Grange. Yeah, I, that sounds cool, super like, cool. Uh, those cool Northern England town names. Right? Oh, I don't know They're why we don't cool. have like cool shit like that here. <laughs> no. Because all have... of our stuff is named after like Native American tribes. So that or other states. Different. Yeah. You have like Florida town and <laughs> <laughs> Illinois country. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But still, like it's that bad. We don't have like, it, you know, cool shit like Kroglin Grange. Yeah, when you first said it, I thought you were saying Krogling Range. Nope, Krogling cool. Range. Right, yeah, that's way less yeah. cool. I anyway, agree. So, th- I guess the question is, I mean, it sounds like a vampire, right? Right. This this was not a pretty vampire by any means. <laughs> you're, you're right, because uh, the way that they described it was brown... And wrinkly. Right. Almost mummified. Yeah, shriveled. (laughs) Shriveled, but with long bony fingers. Yeah, pretty nasty. And this, like, poor Amelia is actually a total badass. She's the one out of all three to be like, no, 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 let's go home. It's no big deal. Right. Yeah. I mean, it it wasn't until the doctor, I mean, because they were there for, you know, a period of time after that. She was there long enough for, you know, her wounds and stuff to heal and everything. But it was the doctor that ultimately said, you know, you should try and take your sister away. She's basically too fine. Like nothing faced her, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's the badass coming out of her. And that and the fact that, I mean... You know, yeah, she was she was the first one willing and said, "Hey, you know, we've already we've already basically signed a contract to live there for seven years. Why not go back?" You know, yeah. And then, bam, second attack. Right. Which so, sucks. Luckily, this one though didn't act. They, he wasn't actually able to get her uh, or do anything to her. You know, she, at least Amelia was able to scream, you know, before becoming paralyzed or, you know, not being able to make a sound. I mean, the first night was, there was definitely a more unique situation, I think. Um, Yeah. Given the fact that it was, it was quick. I mean, before she could do anything, it was in there. It was in her room. You know, and this one, she was prepped and ready. That like being paralyzed and not able to react properly. That's very much in line with like vampire lore. Right, because right? they kind of like they, they kind of like um, 
they like lull you into like almost like you're hypnotized. Yeah. Right. Like a, and basically then, like a charm. Right. They like charm you mm-hmm. to like sit still while they drink you. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's yeah. one of the most, uh, the more notable, more, more notable things of vampires through the, you know, through the ages as well. So, which we'll, that's what makes we'll kind me, of brush on that in a little bit, but yeah. That's what really makes me think like vampire in this case. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, any, cause anything could come and bite your neck. Right. <laughs> True. I mean, any like, well, like her theory of like an escaped, you know, lunatic from an asylum. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like they might bite your fucking neck. I mean, why wouldn't they? Right. But I I guess. (laughs) But like, I feel like they would have some other, you know, form of agenda at least than, you know, just biting at the neck. Who knows? But it's like, but it's the, you know, I mean, how are you going to, how are you going to ascribe a logic to someone who their defining characteristic is that they're insane, right? This character. Of course. We're creating. But um, the fact that it like, paralyzed her basically that that's what screams vampire to me yeah and she was she was able to break out of it at the one point i mean after you know after this creature or this vampire had already you know sunk its teeth into her neck and was drinking her blood basically um you know which i mean i is good that she was able to pull herself out you know because otherwise she probably would have been drained and well like i said bye bye amelia yeah, like I said, badass. Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Also, uh, is burning a classic way of killing vampires? There there are multiple different classic uh multiple different ways that have been said to rid a vamp uh, rid an area of a vampire uh you know through the ages as well. And as we get a little bit more into the history, we'll kind of touch on that. But burning okay. is one. Yes. Okay. Um, it's actually a very popular, uh, popular theory that can rid an area of vampires. Um, I have another okay. couple kind of accounts that I'll go over too. Um, yeah. That you'll see some patterns. So this story that that we just heard, it was like um, this. Is this like from the historical record? So it's this like- was an account. Um, oh my gosh, why can't I think? His name is Augustus. Uh, and of course, now I can't even think right now. Uh, let's see. I will. I will definitely check it out. So uh, basically, um, this guy wrote uh, wrote an autobiography. Okay. And uh, upon writing his autobiography, he told the story of Croglin Grange, um, and okay. it was Augustus Hare. And who was um, he in relation to the story? He lived in the area of Croglin Grange. Okay. Uh, or so it's like a story he, like, he lived grew up in the with. Area. Right, yeah. He was he he witnessed this period of this happen, or at least was one of the townsfolk at the time. And so when he wrote his autobiography, he wrote basically this account of, you know, these brothers and sister that, you know, did all this. And uh, it's just kind of, uh, it's called, I believe the book is called The Story of My Life. Um, a pretty generic title, but uh, right. yeah. <laughs> and so and it was just one of the passages in in the book uh, that this That's is cool. based on. Yeah, which I thought was super cool. Um, a lot of people have argued whether or not it's real. Um, the the story was actually republished in a later uh, a later workings by 
uh, someone else I can't remember. They also published um, a chapter of the Varney Vampire, if you're familiar with that one. Yeah. Um, you know, so a lot of people kind of, you know, kind of take that as like, maybe this isn't real because someone else also cited the same story, but it was in Augustus Hare's actual autobiography. Okay. So, and that's where it originated from 18, what was it? 1890, I believe. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I think could add some validity. You know, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And if nothing I else, mean, it's a fucking cool ass town name, village name. So yeah, <laughs> if nothing sure. else comes of it, uh, you know, at least we're aware of Croglin Grange. Yeah, for sure. No, I like I like the story, and being a part of a of someone's autobiography is just as makes it just as much a part of the historic record as as it you know being written by a historian. Right. Yeah. So. For sure. Because I mean, it's it's essentially an account of you know History. something that technically happened, right? Sure. Or and I mean, supposedly people, happened. People, of course, exaggerate their life stories. Oh, always. But, yeah. You know, like you said, it's still a cool story. It's still a cool story. I, you know, I think I think the fact that it was part of part of his autobiography, I think, like I said, that's what like gives it a bit more life and a bit more meaning. I think, and yeah, it does. Uh, does kind of you know, give it that much more. Um, yeah. I did investigate a little bit more into it. Uh, there were um, there were actual investigations done into Croglin Grange. Okay. No one else has been able to find Croglin Grange, but they found Croglin Low and Croglin High. Okay. Um, so it's uh, apparently because there was the church that was basically past the past. Um, you know, the two brothers and sisters house that they were leasing at that time, there was a church that was just past their house, right. And out of, um, out of their yard and like down basically over a wall. And then you went into the churchyard. So apparently that church was, uh, uh, was deconstructed at one point and then was rebuilt later on, uh, quite a, quite a bit away from that original house. So, and okay. then the area was apparently renamed Croglin Low and Croglin High. So, gotcha. when people, you know, tried to go back to find Croglin Grange, only finding these two areas, finding this church that wasn't where it was in the actual story. But again, because it was deconstructed and reconstructed in another area, I mean, I'm sure the church was quite old. Um, right. You know, and just it just the ideas from I guess from the vaults and every like the vaults and everything. I mean, it was probably a significant, uh, you know, significantly older church and everything. So, which would make sense why they would basically tear it down and rebuild it. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And to also reposition it, you know, given the town, given the village. Um, also, in the Croglin area, um, at one point there was a there was a toy manufacturer that was uh, that was established there. Back in, I want to say 1980, 1970 or something or so, uh, called like Croglin Toys or something as well. Okay. Um, they eventually relocated because, I mean, this is just such a small area, such a small village. Like, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot there. They ended up right. uh, relocating it. I believe, I want to say it was either uh, a little bit more into England or it might have been like just over like the Scottish border because it was very close from Scotland. Right. Um, you know, you're looking at the very Northwest peak basically of, of England. 
Right on. And so there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of just cool, cool things about the area that have kind of came about and just looking into them because I wanted to know more. Like, you know, and especially looking and finding that you know, the story was repurposed and another telling, basically. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to make sure I did my homework for sure. So nice. Well, that was a good story. Thanks. You have, like, I know you have a couple, a few other stories prepared. Do you want to, like, yeah. move on to move yeah. on to another account? Yeah, we can move on to another account. Um, I think I'll get, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on a little bit more on, um, you know, more, more American accounts. Okay. And as, as we focus on, as we get into the history and everything, a lot of these have kind of been established through like European countries and things like that. Um, and made its way, you know, to America or to the Americas basically. And right. I have some pretty cool, pretty cool accounts that have taken place, you know, here. So, okay. um, all right. So another one, uh, in May of 1866, a ship named the Atlantic set sail from the port of Boston on a two year hunt on the Indian ocean. Uh, this is basically a large ship in size and carried a crew of 38 sailors. The majority of the crew were migrant workers who basically had joined during previous voyages, um, with the most notable of the crew being 25-year-old James Brown. And this is another kind of pretty pretty well-known uh, okay. account. Okay. Not the singer. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yes, actually. The very, the very same one. Uh, no, not the singer. So slightly Brown, before his time, <laughs> slightly. I mean, this was 1866. Okay. Um, Brown was a cook on board, uh, basically with an always short fuse. Uh, he was rep- repeatedly warned, uh, that his extreme behavior, uh, you know, would lead to him basically getting kicked off or, you know, like kicked off the crew by the ship, uh, the ship's captain, uh, Benjamin wing. And he was also warned to stop fighting with the other crew members because he always liked to start fights. Right. So during this particular voyage that we're talking about where they had left the port of Boston and they're, you know, just on a hunt of the Indian Ocean, um, I, I never got really like where they were going because okay. that's irrelevant to the story. Right. Um, so basically during this particular voyage, Brown ended up in a confrontation uh, with a 19-year-old kid named James Foster. Brown had claimed that Foster had used a racial slur against him. And basically, after calming down, he returned back to his normal duties. Uh, Cut to the next morning. Foster didn't report for his watch, which sparked basically a a search of the ship, you know, trying to locate this 19-year-old kid. Yep. After a period of time, another one of the crew, James Gardner, Everybody's name is James on this this ship, apparently. Everyone. Uh, <laughs> located Brown crouched behind some crates in the darkness of one of the ship's holds. And they discovered beneath him was the mutilated m- remains of James Foster. Upon further in- uh, inspection of the body, multiple stab wounds, wounds were located and the body appeared to have been drained of blood. Another body was found nearby that was all too that was too similarly drained of blood. Okay. It was just like in this like cargo hold basically uh, right. that they located him. Um, you know, basically for anyone that tried to come near him or tried to communicate with him, Brown would lash out and hiss at them. 
The crew feared that the man basically had became possessed at that point by the devil himself. He was then restrained in irons and tucked away till another ship could take him, uh, take him and the witnesses back to Boston for his trial. On November 13th, the same year, Brown was found guilty of both murders and sentenced to death. Luckily, though, for him, the president at the time held a soft spot for those, uh, notor- you know, was notorious for basically having sympathy on those that had been given the death penalty. And he changed, you know, changed it at that point, and basically his sentence was changed to life in prison. Uh, at that point, they had transferred him to Charlestown uh, State Prison in Massachusetts, quickly becoming one of the most problematic inmates. There were rumors that Brown had murdered at least two prisoners, and it was kept quiet to keep from it reaching, you know, keeping basically from reaching the interest of the press. In 1873, Brian had stabbed a fellow inmate in an attempt to drain him of his blood. At this point, he was transferred to solitary confinement. But this did not stop him. At that point, Brown, um, yes, yeah, so it was basically recounted that an additional 26 attacks were committed on the guards. No one knew how Brown was able to repeatedly escape solitary confinement as he seemed to possess near supernatural levels of strength and stealth. In 1892, so we're looking at almost 20 years later, Brown was found hunched over the lifeless corpse of one of his guards while biting and sucking away at a large wound in the victim's neck. At that point, he was deemed criminally insane and was transferred to St. Elizabeth's Mental Institution in Washington, D.C. Okay, uh, from, so... Yeah. So, because there are lots of accounts of him like stabbing and draining the blood from people, but like right until that last one, I was unclear whether or not he was drinking the blood. Right, it's it's a little it's a little unclear in that, but I mean, I think that's kind of like uh, maybe an, an unspoken <laughs> yeah uh, thing of the story because yeah, with the last one, I mean, he's found literally drinking the blood, you know, from this right. person's neck. And it seems and, like that's different than the others because they take that as like, oh, this guy isn't just a killer. He's insane, mm-hmm. you know, and that seems to be the only real difference. Right. It seems to be. Yeah. It seems to be like, oh, well, we've only seen him do all these things so many times that uh, yeah. now he's biting the neck. So let's take this seriously. <laughs> we got to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> Stomach, tabs, everything else. That's fine. But yeah, yeah. neck, no, no bueno. Um, so basically after he was, after he was transferred to St. Elizabeth's mental mental institution in Washington, DC, that's a mouthful to say, um, he basically lived out the, his remaining days there. He basically expired about three years later. And I like to use the word expired when talking about creepy tales. Expired is good. (laughs) It adds a little (laughs) bit more emphasis than he passed away. No, he expired. That was yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, a lot of people think that this is a story that served part of, you know, kind of as part of inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay. Just with like the gruesome nature, um, you know, like him, him and all these accounts of, well, I guess the one notable one where he's actually drinking the blood. Um, you know, just basically used as kind of like a modern day tale of vampirism. 
Um, it kind of reminded me of um, of the what's his character, the character that Tom Waits plays in Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, Renfield. Okay, the one that's like locked in the asylum and he's like super crazy. Yeah, it reminded me of him. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's where he went with it. Yeah, you know, might have been. It's hard to say. Um, yeah, it was just one that, like I said, it was said that this kind of served as inspiration. But there's also a lot of these that apparently served as inspiration, along with multiple other things we'll get into. Sure. Um, I do have another quick one as well. Okay. This one's uh, you know, just a slightly different account. Uh, so basically. In 1788, a doctor by the name of Alfred moved into a settlement that would be renamed as Dillsboro, North Carolina, uh, roughly a century later. At this point, mm-hmm. didn't, it didn't have a name at the time. All right. Uh, the doctor and his family built a large house on the banks of a nearby river. It's like the Tuskegee River. Um, yep. And so uh, they, built, they built a house in the nearby, by the nearby river. The doctor installed a surgery and an apothecary in two of the upstairs rooms. And basically at that point, it wasn't long before he started to develop a client base uh, with the nearby townsfolk that were visiting in search for treatment for a variety of illnesses and ailments. A few months later, two people that had been treated by the doctor died randomly. Okay. There were no obvious signs of death. No, you know, nothing that was present that caused, you know, that could explain why they died. You know, and so basically with no obvious signs or anything, this caused kind of sparked accusations uh, to form from the townspeople against the doctor. Uh, shortly after, a minister was able to kind of calm the more hot-headed members of his congregation, um, you know, just basically by letting them know, you know, he is helping. He's not, you know, he's not trying to do anything wrong. Things happen. Shit happens, Right. right? Yeah. Um, you know, and so he was able to kind of calm things, things start to settle down. Uh, basically, till one night, uh, which is several weeks later, the minister's wife was about to settle into bed when she noticed the door to their daughter's bedroom was open. She went to investigate and found the silhouette of a dark figure standing over the girl's bed, and she screamed for help. The figure quickly escaped out the window. The doctor came running with his lantern in hand, illuminating the dead body of their daughter and two fresh gaping wounds to her throat. Over the following evenings, the town people were in a panic and expressed fear due to a, lar- due to a large flying creature circling above the, above the town. Shit. <laughs> which, which, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is a little random, but he also like, yeah. And that's that's kind of frightening. I mean, um, this is almost this almost has cryptid vibes, right? Uh, it's very also similar. I don't know if you've seen Netflix's new show Midnight Mass. Oh yeah, very similar to that too, which is which yeah. is super cool. And that's that's kind of one thing I kind of put that together. Um, so basically, you know, the towns the townspeople are in panic. Uh, you know, due to all these things that are happening. There's murders being happened, you know, going on. They have this fucking flying man, flying big giant creature that's circling above the town. Nobody wants to go out at night. Um, You know, these townsfolk, they're boarding up their doors and windows, locking everything down tight. Uh, Till one night, an elderly couple was awakened by a hammering at their door. 
you know, they get up, they go to the door, they find their grandson claiming that someone or something had threatened and attacked his family. Okay. And basically at that point, they gathered a large number of the townsfolk. Um, they basically band together to go to the house. And when they arrived, they found the bodies of the parents of the boy's parents and his siblings lying lifelessly on the ground. All, of course, drained of blood. Of course. After that, no one was able to, re- basically no one was able to determine who had killed them. You know, they're not seeing, not seeing these things anymore. They're starting to kind of go back to normal. Like, it's like shit hit the fan and then just stopped out of nowhere. Sure. Um, you know, basically a period of time came, you know, came and went. Things started to go back to normal. Uh, however, till f- uh, February of 1789, two men were awakened by screaming coming from their next door neighbor's house. They armed themselves and busted through the neighbor's door, and they were met by the dead bodies of the couple that lived there and a dark figure escaping through a nearby window. Two men decided to chase after, or the two men decided to chase after the figure. They chased the figure a short distance to the Alfred residence, the home. Of course, the doctor. Within minutes, a large group of enraged town people, uh, townspeople surrounded the doctor's home. By dawn, over a hundred armed men burst through the front door of the doctor's home. Their surprise, the house appeared empty. They were able to find a trap door that appeared to lead to a cellar under the house. One by one, they all went down in the dark cellar. It was completely bare, aside from three long crates. They found the doctor and his wife sound asleep in two of them, and the third being unoccupied. There was no trace of their 15-year-old son. The doctor and his wife were then pulled from their crates by the angry townspeople. The doctor's wife began to hiss and spit and claw at the faces of their attackers. They pulled the couple from their house and tried to get them to talk or admit to what they had done. However, they refused and would not speak. A decision was made to execute the couple and burn their house down with their corpses inside. After the deaths of the Alferts, the murders in Dillsborough immediately ceased. Jesus Christ. So, I mean, kind of a twist. Boys are, teenage boys are a problem. So. Hey. <laughs> no, that's that's either the story of a vampire or the story of the terrible mob murder of a doctor and his wife. <laughs> they just happened to sleep in, you know, ra- like odd, long sure. rectangular crates in their cellar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That I mean, also were like they were like uh, the way that it was described is they were just kind of like leaned against the wall, so they were also vertical. Oh Christ! Um, so I, I yeah, you know, it's right. it's hard to say. No, that um, has like that has strong. Uh, what's it called? Midnight, midnight mass or midnight mass? Yeah, yeah, it has strong oh, yeah. midnight mass vibes. Oh, for sure. Like, especially just the random creature that's flying over the town that like never really gets any other play than that. Yeah. And just the small (laughs) town where like the people are kind of like ganging up and like, you know, mobbing areas. I'm sure it's a town where everybody knows everybody, you know, it's like, uh, you know, whatever else. And also this 15 year old son was never found. 
Yeah. So there was speculation that he either um, fled, like fled the area. Sure. Like, because remember the daughter, like the baby daughter, there was a baby yeah. daughter that was found basically being drained of blood, which so that there's like a lot of kind of things that don't settle right with me. Because wasn't that the doctor and their was the doctor and the wife's daughter? Right. That's what also kind of adds that twist in the end of the story where they are vampires. <laughs> maybe the maybe so the teenage son. What I think the is daughter. the teenage son killed the daughter, sure. and then I think the parents killed the son. So there wasn't like a little a little toddler size coffin leaning against no. the cellar wall either. Okay. No, because they also claimed that at one point, you know, the mother was like preparing for bed, or the wife was preparing for bed. So who knows? Maybe there was a maybe there was a lapse in time where they transitioned into vampires. Maybe. I mean, it's such it's such a weird, and that's why that's why I I, I think I like Ooh. it so much. It's just like it's very open. There's a lot of random loopholes. Yeah. So maybe. <laughs> Maybe the thing that killed the daughter also turned them into vampires. Right. That was another another thought that I had, too. Yeah. Huh. So, or maybe something turned the son, which killed the daughter. The son then turned the parents. The right. parents, out of revenge, killed the son. Then the town, out of revenge, <laughs> killed the parents. Killed the parents. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty gnarly, but it's a cool story. It's I, I don't know. Like I said, is, just the the randomness and the weirdness of it, I think, is what just what's cool. This and is I why you be shouldn't like, be. This is why you shouldn't be a vampire, right? And like, there may be things that, like, you know, maybe maybe my research wasn't quite on top of things, and maybe like somebody's going to correct me. It's like, no, this is like. You know, this is a family that was like a mile away that this happened to, but right. they just got intertwined. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I don't think so because that's not how anything was like worded or listed. So who knows? Okay. Um. You know. Yeah. I also like the the thing that's flying around the town. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The sun, ostensibly, right? I would. Uh, that's what, what I would like to think. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's gnarly. Yeah. And that pretty, was in pretty, pretty late seventeen hundreds. Uh, that was eight. Uh, yeah. So I mean, all this t- takes place like the early eighteenth century. Um, when was this? I'm trying to go back to it. I think seventeen eighty eight. Yeah, seventeen eighty eight. Right on. And the other one was uh, the late eighteen hundreds um, that I went over. Now I do have a modern day story. Ooh, okay. Um That's pretty damn gnarly uh of a modern day vampire take on vampirism um basically this uh this guy was called um well he he was nicknamed dracula at one point yeah (laughs) so like if you if you want we can quickly touch on it um you know just to give kind of a modern take but i mean I feel I feel like cuz you're talking about Richard Chase. Richard right? Chase, yes. Yeah, the vampire okay. of Sacramento. Yeah. Right. So, I feel like he kind of 
deserves a a deep dive, right? So like, yeah. maybe we could just like skim over Richard yeah, Chase. Like, you just give give the bullet points. Maybe. I think because it's also like it's very to me. It almost seems more true crime. It's absolutely true crime than yeah. a vampire story. I mean, but I mean, this dude he literally believed <coughs> that his only means of survival was by drinking blood, right? By consuming, you know, organs and blood. And I mean, he would literally make up organ smoothies. Yeah. You know, uh, so I mean, this, I mean, this is the modern, like, um, like, uh, psychiatric more, right. vampirism. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's a, an actual mental illness where someone believes themselves to be a vampire. Right. Cause then basically in, in 1975, he was admitted to a hospital because he had blood poisoning. Right. Come to find out he'd been drinking a lot of blood, you know? Right. Um, you know, he believed that his heart was shrinking and withering away. And the only way to grow it back to its full size, this almost sounds like a tale of the Grinch, um, <laughs> was by drinking blood. The meanest Grinch ever. <laughs> <laughs> At least at this time, he was only drinking animal blood. You know, he started off sure. by drinking animal blood. He also had a pretty gnarly childhood, too. Yes, he did. Like, you know, his his family was able to tell, like, I mean, you know, he, he, was, he was very twisted. He was found on numerous occasions killing animals, um, also drinking their blood, like, you know, like, very crazy shit. I mean, Richard um, Chase was, like, a full-blown sociopath. And oh, had, tremendously, yeah. Had, like, um, had schizophrenic tendencies, like, he was not in touch with reality, he was oh, like no. one of one of his biggest gone. one of the biggest things that he he suffered from extreme paranoia yep. and he was constantly worried that there was a Nazi crime syndicate that was after him. Yes, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, there's so much to this guy. Like, there is so much. I know it almost deserves like it would be it would be a great for a true crime episode. But it also like I, I, I you know, just even briefly touching on it for the sake of this, because he like fully believed as modern vampires of today, which again, we'll kind of get into a little bit as we come, you know, converse here a little bit, but as modern vampires today, truly and fully believe that the only means of survival is by drinking, by drinking blood. Right. You know, they have to have it, you know, otherwise they start to feel different kinds of ways and whatever else, you know, (laughs) sure. Um, without getting too into it, but yeah, Yeah, this was same, same case in Richard Chase's story was, I mean, granted he, he had other bullshit reasons for wanting to, you know, thinking he needed blood. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, he also felt like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it just parts of it just make me laugh so much. Um, there's, there's, go ahead. (laughs) Like gallows laugh because it's so fucking disgusting and dark or it's disgusting and dark, but it's also just so fucking stupid. Yeah. Like this guy, like, (laughs) I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not dismissing. Okay. I'm not dismissing, I'm not dismissing paranoia. I'm not dismissing any type of mental illness or anything like that. You know, and and I want to make sure that that's very evident. You know, but this this particular case, yes, he suffered from extreme schizophrenia. Um, he suffered from just 
insane paranoia, like, which, I mean, go hand in hand, first of all, like, you know, and, and multiple other things. But the fact that he fully believed he had some Nazi crime syndicate after him, of all people, yep. and thought that his heart was shrinking. So the only way to, like, pump it back up was to just pump it full of blood. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it, it ended up basically, he was admitted to a men's, uh, like an, an, an institution at that point. Right. Um, and there was one, uh, one kind of just one story where he was in, you know, he was in the institution one day. And this is actually how he got his nickname for Dracula was there were actually two birds that ended up making their way through like some of the bars on the windows and he caught the birds. Um, he caught the birds that slipped through the bars he caught them, slit them open, and drank their blood. Drank and the then birds. And dr- just gulped them down, yes. Yep. And then after that, everybody just started calling him Dracula. Yep. Um, but in 76, he was actually finally diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yeah. So that's where like things kind of start to come into play. Like, you know, and, and at that point, he's released from this, this institution back to his mother, who like stops him from taking his medicine. Uh, yep. because you know, which I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why she would do that. You know, like, I mean, his mother had borderline personality disorder also. And she was like, she, she's, I mean, she's a whole fucking case in herself. I mean, yeah. Like, especially to, to know, like, you know, basically his whole entire childhood, all the strange shit that he did up to this point, you know, she just basically dismisses it. That's her baby boy, basically, you know, like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. You know, but after that, I mean, shit really starts to hit the fan. I mean, that's, that's just actually, a, that's just a special brand of narcissism that goes with borderline personality, right? Because your children are seen as an extension of yourself. So you, right. you're obsessed yeah. with them the same way you're obsessed with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to put it for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, after he's basically released to his mom, like that's when he actually starts getting into like murdering people and drinking their blood. I mean, there's cases where he like, he's, uh, murdering this child at one point after he goes in and like kills this people, these people at this house. And he's interrupted by a knock on the door from what it actually ended up being like the six year old kid just trying to see if, you know, little boy blue could come out and play that day. Right. Um, you know, but he ends up like taking this baby that he's like feasting on and like takes it back home and ends up basically cutting it open and making a making a nice little smoothie. Um, <sighs> but yeah, I mean, and it gets crazier. And yeah. and that's what I mean, we're not going to get like super deep into it at that <laughs> it point. It gets crazier. Um, oh, it gets way <laughs> I know. crazier, dude. I know. I know. There are some they oh, there are some accounts that just are literally like turn my stomach of how fucking weird and gross it is yeah it's disgusting um, it's like but that's it's, like it's a gold star story it's like oh, yeah, if you can set sure. through the whole story you deserve a gold star but like <laughs> yeah no but like honestly we we're we include it because vampires and he believed himself to be a vampire yeah. but like we we don't do tr- true crime really so yeah it's and if, that's where that's where we kind of like have this kind of separation here right yeah if if you're if you the listener are super into hearing about richard chase i would recommend last podcast on the left does like a four episode series on richard chase that's fantastic so like there you go that's, go where, you're, that's that. where you're gonna get super deep yeah yeah does this dude i mean 
it's for for a true crime fan would probably eat this story up oh yeah you know just how how twisted and crazy it is and how in-depth it is too yeah yeah and you know and i i give just kind of the little little bits of the background and everything and just kind of the little tidbits kind of cutting into just the cusp of you know the crazy shit that he does um you know but yes it is that thing where he he fully believes that he requires drinking blood starts with animal blood then turns into human blood you know as he progresses yeah you know basically as a means of survival and that is to this day modern vampires believe that that same concept right in order as a means of survival they must ingest blood and it's not animal blood in most cases right it is human blood and it's i mean and it's been described as like you know in cases where their skin starts to become flaky or they start to like just become very ill and right. groggy and whatever else without you know without blood basically and i will say so. there are like there are communities of responsible well-meaning mo- like modern vampires right and oh, it's 1, all percent yeah the the blood mm-hmm. is given like with consent it's all consenting parties they're you know they're all part of it willingly and, and you know and they do it correctly richard yeah, chase yeah, had this mixed with sexual sadism and severe mental illness. oh yes yeah. it, it was that was a completely different you know like yeah and and that's why we only add part of this because yeah. the whole rest of that is not not what we're getting into right but you know the parts of his blood as a means of survival is something that is kind of vital to our story. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, which I think I think at that point is a good time to kind of lead into, you know, it's just a small history. Okay, yeah, definitely. You know, and that way we can we can also kind of then get into the discussion of modern vampires, traditional vampires, um, you know, and just kind of through the ages and you know have a, have something else to talk about that's not Richard Chase. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> let's let's get chronological. I'm into it. All right, good deal. So, basically, I mean, the earliest references to vampirism uh, can be found in folklore of Eastern European and Balt- Baltic cultures. Uh, primarily, I mean, well, most well-known areas like Romania. Um, you know, where a lot of this really just the deep, the deep kind of nitty gritty of it all kind of starts to resonate from, uh, references go back as far back to include a variety of different types. Um, you know, things like demons, succubus were considered a form of vampires. Sure. Um, to even to more general monsters such as, uh, Strigoi. Yep. If you're familiar with Strigoi. Uh, which those that aren't basically they're spirits that rise from the grave and can only survive by the blood of other creatures. Right. And so, and it's also said that they can also turn into other animals, much like the common idea of vampires being able to turn into bats or having shape shifting for, you know, abilities, bats, mist, wolves. Exactly. Yep. And so, and that's where a lot of that kind of comes from the Strigoi as well. Um, now, Obviously, when it comes to vampires, many stories were told of nocturnal creatures that possessed supernatural powers, 
we get into kind of talking as we were talking about earlier. It's claimed that these creatures had the ability to bewitch or charm their victims. You know, charm basically charming as a means of mind control. You know, uh, they could mind control them. They could basically make them sit entirely still, be entirely quiet, like we talked about Amelia's case, right? Where she was completely, you know, basically paralyzed. Yeah. You know, I would like to think again that that is you know more of this vampire charm or this kind of like bewitching. Yeah. Um. You know, and so basically they would use that in order to be able to also drain the blood of their victims or right, to you know, sort drink of the blood sedate of their them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I mean, in a lot of modern cases, you have that where they can also make them forget everything that happened. Right. And that also, you know, kind of, kind of also, uh, you know, kind of strains from earlier vampirism, but it's more of the more common media type of vampires that like that becomes more of a thing. Right. So, in this case, a lot of people theorized the only way to actually kill or dispose of a vampire, or a strigoi, in this case, or any type of previous creatures that possess vampire-like characteristics, was either to decapitate it, burn it, or basically stake its chest. You know, a stake through the heart. Right. Traditional. Um, there's a lot of things like a white thorn stake or, you know, I mean, it really gets very in depth after that. And, and it's also, right. that's all, that's all culture based. Right. That's very it's like Eastern European. Like exactly. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the same. I mean, these are a lot of the same places that like werewolf lore originated. Right. Yeah. And you yeah, get like exactly. very in depth, like this certain herb has to be like rubbed on the, on the stake before, you know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. that kind of yeah. and again that's all and that's all culture based and even like looking back at like previous stories that we've talked about um i want to say was it the lizard man story or something where they held like they hung this stuff over their doors kushtaka uh kushtaka that's what it was sorry yeah yep. it was kushtaka we like hung like this shit over their doors to like ward it off it's all it's all culture and you know based on that that specific area right you know where these things kind of resonate and, and originate from yeah by the way, everyone should go back and listen to the Kashaka episode. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. I agree. It's yeah. one that doesn't get much play, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a fantastic <laughs> episode, though. Yeah, it was good. It was good for sure. Um, so basically, this idea of vampirism you know, continued throughout history and abruptly, literally abruptly changed once the release of the novel Dracula from Bram Stoker was released. Yeah. Uh, which was in 1897. Um, basically, some argue that Dracula is modeled after one of the most notable figures in Romania, which was Vlad Dracul or Vlad the Impaler. Of course. Um, and for those that don't know who Vlad the Impaler is, he's this big gnarly dude. Literally like to impale his victims just to watch them bleed out and die. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's e- the easiest way to put it. He left them, um, in, left them in, like he would impale them. And leave them on the stake in rows leading up to his right. to his residence. Which is <laughs> so fucking gnarly. Yeah, you want to talk about but Halloween also, lawn decorations. Th- that dude had to have been a badass. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, and a lot of a lot of people do speculate of how how similar like Dracul is last name or whatever. Um, how similar that is to Dracula. 
Sure. Uh, but he wasn't a vampire. You know, that was, that was the difference. He right. liked blood. He loved blood, but he loved watching, you know, watching his victims literally just bleed out. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, huh. no, he was a warrior. So, he wasn't, he wasn't gnarly, a vampire. Yeah, he, he was, was a warrior. Yeah, he was, he was very much a warrior. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was a very different type of scenario. Maybe the name was cool. Maybe just the fact that he was some gnarly ass dude that maybe he was like, I like this name. This guy's pretty cool. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. use it. We'll change it. Or you this know, guy's else? pretty, or this guy's pretty fucking scary. He might make a solid base for a very scary character. A very I'm creating. victim, right? Or yeah. not a victim, but a, like a villain. Yes. Yeah. A monster. And so basically, I mean, you know, this was never actually confirmed. Sure. Um, it's all speculation, basically. Um, Bram Stoker's story was actually largely influenced by several incidents occurring over the years in Western society. And that's where we get into kind of talking about the stories that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, it's claimed that some of those stories actually inspired, you know, where we have our modern vampire that Bram Stoker creates. Yeah. Unlike the the portrayal in Stoker's story, you know, these, these were different, you know, these earlier, earlier takes. You know, they often, so basically, I mean, you know, basically at this point, often appearing as normal, ordinary members of society with basically dark secrets. Yeah. You know, it kind of, kind of pretty, pretty basic. Right. More insidious, um, though. Yeah, of course. Like, of course. And like all classic horror, basically, uh, Bram Stoker took these like supposed real life accounts and he twisted them and molded them to, to make this more fantastic story. Right, this like. Well, I mean, you have to add fuel to the fire at that point. Yeah, of course. You know, you, and you have to make it that much more sinister, that much more creepy, and you know, like. Yeah. But his vampire was different than, you know, than vampires that were previously right. perceived per the previous perception of right. vampires, folkloric vampires. Oh yes, very yeah. much. So, uh, you know, obviously the story of Dracula gained international success produced the most iconic portrayal of a vampire to date count dracula yep everything every instance of a vampire or any anything related everybody knows and can associate the name of count dracula to a vampire yep um you know it, so basically but stoker's story kind of took everything that everyone perceived and threw it out the window you know, they weren't at that point because, I mean, before they were kind of like these cannibalistic forest dwelling creatures. Yep. And then he's replaced them by these more charming, sinister European noblemen, um, you know, that the change still persists to this day. I mean, you look at modern, modern vampires and I mean, some of them are these sadistic, you know, sinister people. Some of them are just trying to the redeem themselves. Sure. Some of them are fucking glittery. Like, you yeah. know, like you have all this shit, right? Um, you know, but yeah, basically the wave of vampires started just a big craze. Sparked many books, many major motion pictures and TV shows all based around the subject. I mean, still to today. Yeah. You know, there's still many, many vampire movies, TV shows, I mean, still active. Yeah, they're coming and out every day. <laughs> literally, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's still, despite being something that nightmares are made of, um, you know, just like I was talking, you know, these, basically, these vampires, 
have also been sympathized with. And that's where we have like modern vampire like tales that they're trying to redeem themselves or they're trying to lead normal lives to the best of their abilities and stuff like that. Yeah. Or they were ridiculed. You know, they were ridiculed as uh, and casted out of society and stuff like that. Um, you know, but one thing has remained. Uh, and I, I think this is more so like a subjective statement that vampires are still easily easy to detect when you look for their tail, basically telltale signs. Okay. And also easy to defeat when using appropriate techniques. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that that can be adjusted. Uh, I think that, that statement that can that can kind of be it can be countered in some instances. I think uh, you know with modern modern vampirism, I think well, uh, let's go media because yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, it can really be handled multiple different ways. Uh, I mean, in a lot of cases, you're going to know most often what a vampire is, but in most modern media. Vampires have a lot more abilities. They have the ability to charm their victims, to erase their memories, to right. literally compel them, as uh, you know, in a lot of cases that vampires are known for being able to do. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think I think, like I said, with that statement, I think it, it can be kind of catered depending on the situation. I mean, just like anything else, especially things in the supernatural realm, any you're going to have as many different versions as there are writers, right? So like any writer can add any characteristic they want and they, I mean, they have, right? Right. Oh like yeah, for vampires sure. Vampires are, are ubiquitous in our culture. They're everywhere. Like I have a box of chocolate cereal on top of my fridge right now with a vampire on it, right? Like <laughs> there are as many versions, different versions as you can think of. And um, then you have what Stephanie Myers vampires that literally glitter under the sun, sure. like silly, yeah. silly things, right. but all changed as of people's own perception or they're just how they want them to be. And to just fit into the genre that they, that they create in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So vampires have been created for horror and they've been created for romance and they've been created for teen dramas I've, and I think more so now, vampires are very much, very much more romanticized yeah. than anything. Yeah. Like, even even than horror or anything like that, they're, yeah, I think it's more romanticized than anything. And people, uh, people put a lot of that on Twilight, obviously, right? But, right. But yeah. those same people, like myself, own every Anne Rice novel ever written and she romanticized yeah. vampires as much as you possibly True. could i mean oh, her, yeah. her vampires I mean, are like more like sex oriented yes. and yes yeah right but i mean those were what twilight basically just like dials down the audience 10 years but it's the same thing it's ro- it's super romanticized vampires yeah right like brad pitt's character in interview with the vampire louis oh yeah i mean that I'm movie right there that's that's 90s heartthrobs playing vampires, yeah. right? Not only you have Brad Pitt, you also have Tom Cruise. Exactly. And <laughs> Antonio Banderas. Like, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, they're all in there. literally a prime cast that just makes these uh, these vampires that much more attractive. Exactly. That much more, like, sexier and gets, like, you know, brings a wider audience. Yeah, of course. Than just, like, some horror tale does. Right. Right? The same thing so. Twilight was doing. Just... 
earlier. Right. And I mean, of course, better writing, in my opinion, but like, it's I mean, it's the same approach, right? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I agree. But yeah. It's just, I mean, you, you have to know your audience, right? Yeah, of course. You're creating, you're creating this for your audience. Yeah. And so, and that's, and that's what, you know, even speaking of Twilight, focusing on more of a younger generation than sure. say Anne Rice did with you. I mean, you know, focus more on your like right. late twenties, thirties, like yeah. more of an adult generation. It's more For adult sure. centered than, you know, than teeny bop and stuff. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Twilight certainly was written for a younger audience, but boy, did they snare a lot of 50-year-old women. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially certainly. when the movie is released. I mean, yeah, you know. Of course. <laughs> We're not talking about Twilight. <laughs> okay. You knew we'd so, have to. I mean, yeah, but if we're going to talk about Twilight, we might as well talk about Vampire Diaries. Oh, God. Which is one of my guilty pleasures, unfortunately. (laughs) But the thing about Vampire Diaries, it was actually written long before Twilight ever was. Sure. So I will, you know, I'll say that. (laughs) At least least I can say that. Those are words. I'll agree. (laughs) Those are words. (laughs) Anyhow, moving on. Uh So... Uh, and getting into more like of a medical explanation for vampirism. Okay. Um, there are some similarities to existing diseases. So you have the maddening psychological effects that rabies have on a human body. Mixed with the need to ingest large amounts of, of hem into the bloodstream by those suffering from uh, uh, porphyria. And which is basically, um, yeah, basically, I mean, creating more notable concepts, uh, displaying more characteristics of modern vampirism or vampirism at the time. Right. Um, and you know, porphyria, porphyria is basically just like a lack of like iron in the blood and things like that, or iron in the system that being able to ingest blood, be able to be, is able to like boost your iron. You'll ramp those numbers up significantly. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. for sure. No doubt. Um, You know, just, uh, I guess it's just like a quick rundown. Um, You know, but we have, you know, we have incidents of vampires through, uh, like, uh, European countries throughout the centuries, and then, again, kind of slowly moving into North America uh, as they become more and more widespread. And basically finding their landing point and New Orleans is more of your focal point, your hub of modern vampirism Absolutely. and vampires. And so, you know, it, it became a, basically a focal point for the hysteria. So, you know, the way that, the way that I look at New Orleans is, you know, it, it paints a beautiful picture, especially for modern vampires. You have its vast architecture, which is very reminiscent of Victorian era, like, you know, just beautiful like more i want to say i want to say old country but you know like sure. it's i mean it's it, very it's very kind of close to that you yeah know? it's heavily influenced um, but also by french architecture i was gonna say in yeah. all all the districts and things like that and yep. you know so you know you have you have all those things that really like are a big focus in new orleans that you know as vamp as this vampire craze comes there there's no wonder that it basically establishes a home and that's the hub that we 
you know, that we as in North America, mm-hmm. you know, in the States, that is basically our, our hub of vampirism. I know like there's also a, a hot spot in like LA right now for a big, uh, um, I can't, I don't want to say coven, but like a group, group. of vampires, sure. um, a clan. Sure. We'll call them a clan. There we go. Yeah, like a clan of vampires that are actually really well known. I can't remember their names right now, but yeah, because I didn't really focus on like LA. I mean, I focus more on New Orleans. Yeah. That being like you know our big thing. I mean, New Orleans is um, basically the city where everything cool that came to the United States went to New Orleans. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, no, you're you're one hundred percent correct. Think New Orleans. You think uh, vampires and voodoo and fucking witchcraft oh, yes. and all that like so much. all that Creole influence. All the mm-hmm. like, um, and all the like, uh, the Afro Caribbean I mean, religions, and I was all, gonna say, yeah. in like, even like Haitian culture, exactly that migrated, you know, to that area as well. Like, yeah, you have this backdrop of everything that's already perceived as sinister or taboo and things like that. Like, why not just, you know, inhabit, like, inhabit, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. Yeah, fill the place full of vampires at that point. There's a reason um, why. There's a reason why it's chosen as the backdrop for so much of like Anne Rice's writings and like Poppy Z. Bright and all these authors that write these like dark and sexy tales. That's like dark and sexy is literally New Orleans. Oh like, yeah, that's that's I agree. everything about it. I agree, and that's where basically that's where kind of our history stops at that point, and that's when we get into modern vampires. Okay. Now, modern vampires, just like we were talking about earlier, um, you know, I try not to dive too much into it. There's not, it's not really a whole lot to say, um, you know, other than modern vampires are just your average, run-of-the-mill people, normal every everyday people. They, you know, many possess high-ranking careers, mm-hmm. um, you know, very normal normal day-to-day activities, but have you know a need for drinking human blood sure um and that's where that's where we get into there's uh actually i believe it was the history channel did a uh did a a big thing it was uh, a couple years ago on modern vampires in new orleans or new orleans or whatever you want to call it doesn't matter um nolens nolens um they actually did a big segment uh that was focused on modern vampires and interviewed many different, different types, different types of people. And they were all very normal, very, you know, you would never expect it. Right. They were well-respected like members, you know, members of their community, well-known, very happy, go get them style people (laughs) that, you know, claim to be vampires. They're your modern day vampires, but it's not something that's like that mainstream media centered vampire. No, it's not, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. It's nothing like anything, you know, written in Dracula, nothing as old 18th, 17th century, you know, in earlier vampires were perceived as nothing like that. I mean, yeah, I think, I think we've established this point where we've, you know, we've been able to take all these things and develop it over the years. You know, just as like anything adapts as it as it becomes more and more into different areas, right? Right. And so, you know, just like that, we have our modern vampires. 
And, you know, and just like you were saying, I mean, you know, in a lot of cases, they take extreme precautions when they drink their blood. Yep. Um, I, I was even watching, uh, you know, watching one of those uh, one of those episodes where uh, the, the guy actually has a doctor come in. The doctor volunteers to, to allow him to drink his blood. Right. And basically what he does is he takes a fresh, fresh needle and fresh like scalpel every single time. And he always disposes them properly every single time. He only does it a couple days a week yeah. just to get, you know, just so he continues to get, you know, his his proper intake at that point. And basically just creates just a, you know, a couple little puncture wounds and just, you know, sucks the blood. And basically, you know, and that's enough for them to be able to last of, you know, a while at that point. Now, there's also a part of modern vampires where it's like it's part of their um, sexual proclivities. Right. So like yeah they're, oh the, yeah. yeah that's that's also another another aspect another of it. avenue yes yeah, yeah. right because I mean there's definitely speaking of New Orleans there are definitely some like you know there are some groups with, with like blood play and stuff but it's like for barring you know the occasional exception of course crime happens but like right there are groups where it's like entirely consensual and it's part of it's just part of what they do. Yeah, right. I mean, blood play is is actually pretty popular. Yeah, it's pretty common. And as as I mean, and I'm sure most people wouldn't expect it, but it is. It is very common, and it's um, you know a lot of people just get off on blood play. Yeah, like you know, and that's and whether it's whether it's drinking, whether it's literally like lathering it over your bodies, sure. like you know it it creates uh, just that that heightened that heightened basically a heightened of senses i mean personally it's um, making me a little nauseous talking about it but you know to each their own <laughs> <laughs> right you know yeah uh i i don't know i've never been queasy of blood so it doesn't bother me um you know that that not richard chase's stuff yeah, I, I want to make sure that I throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, I, no, yeah. Um, no, but I mean, just the idea of like being able to talk about it and things like that, you right. know, and, and it being like such a, such a common practice. Um, but yeah, you have, you, you have different types of modern vampires as well. Yeah. And then you also have the ones that, that literally do it for darker purposes. Okay. And those aren't, I would say those probably aren't as common and as well known, but uh, you know, again, like darker, darker practices. Whether it's ritualistic, um, you know, different, I guess, situations like that. I mean, then I, I think it's more personally. I think it's not as, as vampire focused, and I think it's more, um, you know, it, depending, depending, it might be religious practice yeah depending uh whatever religion or again more ritualistic and things like that which yeah you know that's i think that's separate i agree personally yeah but i think that also does you know should be at least mentioned that that is something that it's kind of another avenue yeah um but you know again those that those that claim to be modern vampires you know are most often just very just very normal like very you know very just a normal practice yeah um and as taboo as you know as it may seem to you know most of us that wouldn't ever expect to live a lifestyle like that i mean those that choose to do so like 
I don't know. I don't, I, to me, I, I think it's, you know, do what you want, you know, obviously. Right. Yeah. I agree completely. It's just like, you know, it's just another private part of their life. Right. That's just what they do. And I think the, right. I think the, the podcast Euphemet did a, an episode a couple, a couple seasons ago where he actually um, interviewed like a, a modern vampire ah cool that, yeah see that, that was pretty that cool would, i wish that we could have had like the opportunity to do something like that you know for for like this episode i think would have been awesome yeah um you know maybe maybe eventually we'll get back into kind of our monster tales and stuff and maybe we can make you know something like that happen yeah because i would love to be able to continue like at least like make that more wide known like yeah. widely known we might just get a chance and, to sit down and have a chat with one right more accepted i think is you know because it's just Things that are taboo to me, I, I think, are only taboo just because people don't understand them. Right. And what better way to to help somebody understand than than to put it out, out there. there? Right. Yep. Exactly. Yep. All right. So you want to get into movies? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. I think uh, I think we've we've talked about enough accounts <laughs> and yeah, you know, just kind of like a, a brief history and everything. Um, okay. So. Uh, I'll let you go first. What is your number five vampire movie? All right. My number five is the 1987 classic Near Dark. Why the fuck can I not think what that is? Oh, man. It's the Catherine Bigelow movie. Uh, she directed... Okay, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. She directed Point Break and one of my favorite all-time movies, Strange Days. Right? Okay. Um. So basically, like this was that had Bill Paxton in it too. Oh fuck yeah! Um, it was in '87, so like we were all pretty familiar with the like, you know, the super proper, self-loathing European vampires. This was the exact opposite of that. It was like half western, half horror, like right. Yeah, that's in the desert. (laughs) Like it's badass. That sounds like a combination of just a bunch of fuckery. Yeah. They basically just go, it's just this gang of vampires that go from town to town destroying everything. That's awesome. Yeah. Great movie. Well, I'm, I'm into that. I, I'd love to check it out. I, yeah. I don't, I literally, I don't think I've ever seen that, which is surprising. Yeah. I, cause as I was prepping my list, I was trying to go through like all the vampire movies, like I, I've known and loved like as a kid and growing up and things like that, which is my, my list basically consists of those. Yeah. But, uh, fair. Yeah. Uh, I would have to say my number five, 1997's Buffy, the vampire slayer Very the nice. movie. Yeah. Which obviously sparked a series. Yeah. Not nearly as good. It was fantastic. I'm not going to lie, but it was, it was not nearly as good, but the movie to me, uh, it was it was pretty it was kind of pretty important because you know that was like first of all uh, what was her name uh, Christy Swanson plays as Buffy it was so fucking hot <laughs> and like as a kid I was like damn she is she is a badass yeah you know and like as she like starts to train and um you know basically just becoming becoming this hunter like it was awesome. Uh, you know, and it was, it was one of those that, yeah, to me, like I said, to me as a kid, I think that's maybe where my, my, where my interest was more peaked was just that like, she was awesome. She was hot. Yeah. And this is about vampires. Like, you know, granted 
it's it was it's kind of cheesy, but it's also it is a classic for sure. Yeah, I would say it definitely yeah. is. I personally, I have to say, I never really gave a shit about the movie. I loved the series. The and series was great, I, and, I, and then obviously it sparked like uh, the side stories, like you have yeah. Angel and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. But like, I went uh, back years later and watched the movie, and it's actually really good. It is. It is. It's it's definitely good. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. The last, I mean, it's probably been a couple years. Same. But the last time I did watch it, it it did still hold up. Yeah. You know, for being like kind of a '90s cheesy cheesy vampire flick where you know you just have this like teenage girl that's yeah uh able to just uh uh yeah battle off like a you know horde of zon- or zombies wow i'm thinking <laughs> about zombies now horde of vampires yeah <laughs> um you know so but yeah that's that's my number five it's still still great but yeah the series was fantastic i definitely agree yeah um but yeah the movie the movie started it all for sure Definitely. Was the movie also Joss Whedon? Or did he just base uh, the series off of... Did I have that here? I don't know. I know. I, I want to know. Yeah, I, definitely. I, I doubt it. Because um, he did the series. Um, let's see. Maybe he just based it off someone else's movie. Right. And I think I might have, yeah, I might have put my year wrong. I think I mixed that with my other one, which is 92. So that's my bad. Ah. Um, it was Joss Whedon, though. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was. Right on. That's awesome. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was just curious. Well, the more we know. All right. Let's, uh, let's keep it going. Right. How about your uh, number four? My number four is from 1978. It is Martin. Martin is actually my favorite Romero movie. It's his vampire movie. Really? Yes. It's I have literally never heard of that one. Dude. So do yourself a favor. It's awesome. Okay, so what's cool about this one is you never actually know whether or not you're never told outright whether or not Martin, the main character is actually a vampire or not. Okay. So he goes through all this shit, right? Like he moves in with a family member. I think it's his brother. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it says it's elder, his elderly and hostile cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he moves in with them and he's like, Basically, when he attacks people, he drugs them and like cuts them up, cuts them open with a razor to drink the blood. Okay, right. And he has all these visions throughout the movie of like the classic type of shit that you would associate with vampires, like mobs with torches and shit. But you never right. really know whether they're memories or dreams or fantasies okay. or whatever, right? But there's a whole like subplot where he's calling in and talking to this radio DJ about his vampirism basically. And he becomes like a big hit with the audience, right? Like they, they become <laughs> okay. like obsessed with them, but like, it's a very cool movie. 
It's like sort of a departure yeah. for Romero, but like it, I think it, it yeah. it's one that I I can rewatch for sure. It's really it might be my favorite Romero movie, honestly. Cuz it's, huh. it's just so weird. The way there's like this like weird sort of love story between him and an older neighbor woman and like it's not actually a love story, they just fuck a lot. Well, he's and like claiming or thinking that yeah, he's a vampire. Yes. Okay. It's a very weird movie, but it's the it, <laughs> it sounds it's, like it's it. compelling. It's good. I liked it a lot. Awesome. I watched it. Yeah, it sounds like it's worth uh, worth checking out. Yeah, I, I watched it a couple weeks ago again, and like it's just as good as it always was. Awesome. Yeah, I liked it. So, what is your number four? My number four is actually going to be Interview with a Vampire. Excellent. Um, I, I remember watching it as a kid. Uh, obviously, growing up with uh, um. You know, one of my cousins that is very much into, was into, like, that whole, like, the whole goth thing, and very much into vampires at the time, like, really kind of piqued my interest, um, and, like, helped, like, kind of, you know, kind of get me into, like, more, like, vampires. I, I never went the whole goth route, but... For sure. You know, obviously. You missed out on that. <laughs> I don't think I missed out, but, you know, regardless... <laughs> Um, but I know, I know we've already talked about interview with the vampire a little bit, but it was, uh, you know, again, another Anne Rice, um, which, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it is more so. And just like we were talking about earlier, more so a very like sexualized, romanticized version of vampires. You know, we have, we have him basically telling, you know, telling his story, right? Yep. And, you know, but it's very, very well done. Um, and plus, you know, the cast is fantastic. Of course. Um, but I think, again, it's another one of those more, I would say, slightly sentimental things. Because that's, I mean, I was, I was very young at the time. Definitely. Um, and, like, getting into, like, starting to get into kind of, like, the spooky and weird and stuff. Like... You know, and of course, like that was that was uh, a little bit kind of out of my uh, sh- things I shouldn't be watching as a child. Sure. <laughs> so, but you know, I was able to watch it with my cousin, and that was all fine and good. And like, and she's like the whole time, like telling and explaining like what's actually going on, and you know, and it's just like when I think about it now, and I and I haven't watched it in a long time. You know, as I've went back and I've, I've I was writing up my list and stuff, like thinking about these, I I want to revisit just because, like you know, because a lot of them do have sentimental meanings, and and that's yeah. anytime we're like going through these movie lists, they always seem to yeah. Um, no, that's cool. Know, Those are the movies that really stick with you over the years. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think just given given that situation and like my reasoning and everything behind it, like again, the movie is fantastic. The story is fantastic. But like even that doesn't hold as much meaning as to like why I was watching it at the time or like what like you know what kind of got me into like even liking vampires and everything in the first place. Definitely. Yeah, you know, and that was like one of the first kind of like steps in that direction for me. Yeah. So that's my number four. All right. So what is your 
what third now? Yep. Yeah. What is number your three. what's your third? My number three is from 1996, from dusk till dawn. That is a super solid choice. Yes, such a fantastic movie. I so there's something very special to me about this movie, which is, and I. It's sort of like it reminds me of an era of cinema that we basically missed because these are movies that did something very special in the theater that we weren't old enough to partake in. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah, this was Tarantino, obviously. He was, you know, best known at that point for Pulp Fiction. Right. right. Obviously okay, Reservoir Dogs and but Pulp Fiction was huge. So mm-hmm. you had like you had um basically the guy from ER is what everyone knew him as. Was he from ER? I'm trying to Yeah, George Clooney. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess. At the right. time everyone okay. knew him as the, the like the nice guy from ER. ER <laughs> right. And and Tarantino. So people went into the theaters and this was an era before like before a movie trailer basically told you the whole fucking movie. Right, yeah. Right. They literally spoil the whole thing now, yes. which is stupid. So people went into the movies and there's this like they they're thinking they're they're about to see like a Tarantino heist movie with the guy from ER in it and like boom, <laughs> vampires. And well, then fucking, you know, it's basically a western. Yeah, it turns out it's like a western vampire bloodbath, right? It's so good, and it's so yeah. good. But there were think about that though that like thousands of people went into the theaters having no idea that they were about to see a vampire oh, yeah, movie. I'm sure, right? I'm sure. I'm sure it was very off putting. <laughs> you know, like oh, I didn't sign up for this. I mean, that's just like brilliant, and it, it couldn't be done today. There's, right. No, not at all. Couldn't, not at all. Because it would immediately, before they even started filming, 400 websites would go, Tarantino's doing another vampire movie. That's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. With how many things are like leaked today too. Yeah. yeah it, it would not, it would not be able to live through it. I mean, before, before it's even done filming, you would already know what's, what it's about. Yep. Like, Yeah. You'd you'd have like the the fucking dailies leaked, the like yeah. the in the first week, right? Oh yeah, and the amount of like the amount of people that now like leak like footage or like uh, videos or even pictures yeah. of like sets. the crews filming and stuff or the sets yep. and yeah, I mean it's nuts. Like I I was actually looking up uh, one pretty recently, and they had like entire like scenes from the movie. That they like just shot on like an iPhone, just watching you know watching it being filmed, yeah. and you know it's thrown out there, and now like all these surprises are no longer a thing. So, yep, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's disappointing. But and aside just from that cultural significance, the movie is it's incredible. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. It almost made my list. Yeah, it literally almost made my list. Um, was replaced. By a movie that you're probably not going to agree on. Okay. What's your number three? 30 Days of Night. Ugh. 
<laughs> That's what I was expecting. <laughs> all right. So just the, my reasoning. First of all, the way that this movie is done is perfect. I mean, think of, so uh, this is my reasoning. This is my reasoning. I can, I'm see, listening. I can see your your doubt in your face here. Mm-hmm. But no, like, so think of, first of all, the the landscape the 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 backdrop for this whole thing is film is taken place in Alaska in an area where they experience 30 days of literal darkness and i mean this is this is actually something i i just had a conversation about this earlier uh thinking about how hard it would be is i'm actually going to Alaska next year right. Um, but thinking about how hard it would be to live through a period of darkness like this. I mean, I know a lot of people, they migrate south just to, you know, just to uh, not have to worry about it and stuff. Yeah. But you talk about seasonal you have, depression. Exi- yeah. yeah. Oh, tremendously. Yeah. You know, so, but so think of it like that. You know, not only you have these, the, this month long period where it's just completely dark all the time. Then you also have vampires that are coming to town literally out of, you know, just out of nowhere. And you have a hand, you know, a little bit more than a handful of people still left. Mm-hmm. You have the people that didn't migrate or anything or don't like yeah. go south for the winter. People that are holding thing, the whatever. fort down. Right. And first of all, you have Josh Hartnett, which I personally, I love Josh Hartnett. He's a fantastic actor, okay. um, you know, in everything he does. Um, but so you have him as what the sheriff or the deputy, yeah, the I, sheriff. I can't remember at this point. He's the sheriff. Um, so it, it's, it's been a little while since I've watched it as well, but it's, yeah, like I think my biggest thing is just how terrifying this would be unsuspecting. And again, I mean, you have these people that are probably always there yearly for this period of time, again, holding down the fort, like you said, right. you know, that just all of a sudden. It's a fucking bloodbath. Yeah. And just how crazy and how terrifying that would be. I think it's just, it's a little different than our normal, like normal vampire movies and things like that. Like, or our Western, you know, traditional or Western, you know, vampire movies, or even like our romanticized vampire movies and stuff like that. It's a monster flick. It's literally, it's terrifying. Yeah. That's, you know, if you look at it on, on and under that, like that idea that, I mean, put yourself in that, in that situation, in that area, at that time point during this month long period, like, first of all, I don't even know if I would, if I could stay, if I could, if I could last through a month long period of darkness. No, me neither. I would go crazy. I, I don't think I could. No. Oh yeah. 100%. And then, and then also you never know, like, I mean without keeping track of the time you never know like what time of day it is yeah. you know so you have you have all that but then also all this crazy shit's going on and just like i said to me it just it makes it that much more terrifying and it makes it that much more awesome i mean and so <clears throat> and that's that's where it like kicked off you know the previous one from my list and threw this one on there just because i think it's a little bit more sinister and creepy and just like i said just fully terrifying you're just to imagine being in that situation okay i mean 
No. <laughs> All right. So here's the thing. For All right, let's hear it. I'm currently doing this like 30 days of, or um, what is it? 31 days of Halloween or whatever. Or Halloween yeah. and the movies. Right, or I'm yeah. watching a movie a day. This, this is why I knew that you were not going to be, you were not going to agree with yeah. me. <laughs> so on day seven of this, I watched this movie. Movie. I watched this movie and right. I'm just going to read you the paragraph that I wrote with the post. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. And that way everybody can. All right. Here we go. Know what you think. (laughs) That's why we're here, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I I mean, that's exactly why we're here, right? All right. Very cool premise. See, I granted you that. Okay. Very cool premise, but I tend to love anything about Alaska, which is true. I love everything about Alaska. Oh, fucking me too. Like, I love Alaska. Unfortunately, and unsurprisingly, that cool premise only carries the movie for about 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> this movie is slow. It is. It is. I agree. The char- it's, it's slow. The characters are shockingly bland. The vampires are uninspired attempts at a more feral version. Overall, would not recommend. To be completely honest, I struggled to stay awake. End. That's fair, yeah, yeah. That's 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 completely fair, and and again, and I know it's been a while since I've I've watched this. Like, I would love to have been able to rewatch like all these movies on my list just to Get like a fresh take. Know that I want them there, yeah. right? But knowing from you know the way the way that I you know again kind of looking through you know throughout all of the vampire movies and like different premises that have been explored more awesome than others. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the idea of this. No, the premise of like, vampires taking advantage of that 30 days of night is awesome. That's a really cool right. idea. Like what like, vampire like writer wouldn't think that as soon as they're like 30 days of night, like dark right. for 30 yeah, days yeah, for vampires sure. for sure. Right. Yeah. See, I, I liked this movie so much. I wanted a sequel. Oh man. But they ended up shooting like this shitty TV show that was awful. <laughs> Well, so, at least they were true. Don't waste your at time. At least they were true to their original vision. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, what do you have for your uh, what number two? Yeah, we're All right. number two. Number two is so far our. What is my okay. number two? Is so far our only overlap. My number two is Interview with the Vampire. Okay. So like. And that's at number two. Yeah. Well, what I, dude, I I was a huge Anne Rice nerd. Like, as I alluded to earlier, I still have every book she's ever published on that shelf right there behind me. (laughs) They're all right there. Like, I loved the movie when I was younger. I watched it probably, like, five times a year for years. Like, it was uh, one that I rewatched over and over again. And we talked about the cast, like, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Kirsten Dunst, Christian Slater, Antonio Banderas, like... It's basically it's a complete all star cast, yeah, right? It's basically like in you know 1994, the director was like, "Give me every single actor that can carry a movie on their own. I want them all." <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it's just it's a forever favorite of mine. And one thing I wanted to mention earlier, like we because 
<clears throat> we talked about how Anne Rice made. We talked about how Anne Rice made vampires like sexy and kind of like sexual, right. Oh, right? Yeah. romanticized. Mm-hmm. But like she also brought a thing where she made them androgynous. You know, which was like which okay. was a new thing. Yeah. Like the vampires aren't just like heartthrobs. Their sexuality is like fluid. You know, they're like they ha- they like they have sexual they have like sexual encounters with women, they have sexual encounters with each other. They like Yeah. They're just it wasn't there was no like kind of fine point or anything right. it was more yeah like you said more fluid i mean it basically uh, which i think it's important for yeah, sure it always made sense to me too because i feel like that's the way that would happen to almost anyone who lived 400 years oh i mean you know what i mean i'm sure like yeah yeah that it just it's the natural yeah, conclusion it, of sexuality in my mind mm-hmm. right yeah yeah oh I, I don't i don't disagree with you i think uh, i think that's a, definitely a fair point and that's something to also not dismiss as well. Like, cause it not only kind of changes, you know, again, kind of that change in vampires and the way that different authors like create them and, yeah. you know, change, change the story that much more. Right. And that is another thing that has carried into kind of more modern day yeah. of vampires as well. Yeah. Like that's still a very common thing. Yeah, I mean, Anne Rice has a a lot to do with the modern vampire canon, right? Like, I, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, yeah, a lot. She's a huge influence. I mean, she put out what the Vampire Chronicles is like thirteen or fourteen books, I believe. And that's the, insane. I mean, and they're all so good. Like, right. I can still I can still pick them up and read them. I loved them. I think it was. I think it was during the zombie episode. I I said this, uh-huh. but the same is true here. Like, I have a, a, a high amount of reverence for anything that can capture my attention when I'm 13 and still captures my attention at 30. Oh, yes. Right. I'm glad. I'm glad we're getting into the Vampire Chronicles too, because that's also going to continue as we uh, discuss here a little bit. Now you're making me nervous about what your number one's going to be. <laughs> anyway you're probably gonna hate me. probably <laughs> look i was fully prepared for that coming into this episode I, yeah, right, yeah. Right. so what is your number um, two my number two is lost boys i fucking loved lost boys as a kid it's one i first watched with my dad when i was younger the idea is awesome you know you have like this new family into town um, you know, a younger brother and an older brother. The younger brother, he's, you know, starts to geek out with like his nerdy friends. Um, basically it's like a Goonies reunion. And then, then you have the older brother that's obsessed with this girl and gets tied into this, uh, this club essentially that turns out to be full of vampires. Right. And then it's basically him trying to save her and also like, become part of this group but also at the same time like you have the younger brother that's also trying to save the older brother as well and so like becomes this just big thing but it's like um oh god why can't i think of uh think of his name um the main vampire yeah so no i was thinking back because i mean because again we're 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 talking about like uh 
Yeah. Regardless, I'll just skip to it. Kiefer Sutherland yeah. was fantastic in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, and then you basically have this like Goonies the reunion, which is awesome. Like that's yeah. But again, the movie, the movie as a whole was just so good. It was very kind of kind of young adult based definitely very like very directed towards young adults um, see and it was just a super cool story and he, like and here we have an, another even older example of using like teen heartthrobs in vampire movies right yeah so oh, yeah it, for sure it's even older as i mean he was a fucking badass of course he was Kiefer Kiefer sutherland <laughs> has been good in everything yes, he's ever always been in. i i agree i agree 100 percent but yeah, just and again, it's another nostalgic, very sentimental movie to me. Just sure, you know. So yeah, that's that is literally that is my number two. That would have been my number one. I will go. That's that's how much I love that. I movie. will go on the like, record to say that I I'm not a big fan of Lost Boys. I'm surprised. Yeah, I I never I always struggled because it's a good story. It is. Like it's not a bad story. I just I always so. struggled getting into those like eighties kind of brat pack movies and it felt like it always felt kinda like half that, half vampire. I get that. You know? Like I never I never And I always I ne- always a fan of those. Yeah. So. See, I never got into <laughs> like know. the Breakfast Club or Pretty in Pink or any of those movies. Oh, that's like, crazy. I don't know. They just never caught my attention the way they seem to catch everyone All else's. Right. But it is Kiefer Sutherland, so it's a respectable entry into the list. Yeah. All right. What is uh your? I guess yeah. Your number one. Your number two is Interview with the Vampire. Oh yep. fuck. All right. Well, I guess we're yeah we're at number one. What is your number one? All then? right. My number one vampire movie of all time is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw Nick Cage How in there. dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, For those that don't know, don't ever watch that movie. It's a giant no, shit please show. Please watch it. Please watch it. It's extremely funny. No, it, it's literally a comedy. Yeah. It, it is horrible. Probably one of the worst things Nicolas Cage has ever done. Oh, man. But it is worth watching because it is, it is just That's funny. really fucking... Like, it's literally funny That's to really watch saying like, something. The worst, one of the worst things Nicolas Cage has ever done. I I would honestly, I would say to me that's probably I would say that at least from what I've seen, and I, I'd like to say I've I'd like to say I've seen a good chunk of Nick Cage's. Yeah, movies. Sam. You know, I would say to me that is probably the worst. The worst. It's one. near the bottom for sure. It's definitely near the bottom. It's down there with like I mean, Ghost Rider. <laughs> And then face off, and, dude. Yeah. Those are the good ones. Face off, actually, face off was pretty the good. Mid, yeah. mid to late nineties. We also have John Travolta, oh, yeah. right? Fuck okay. yeah, yeah. You're right. I like right. face off and Con Air that time period. That was oh, Con Air was fucking right. Fantastic. Come on, Steve Buscemi being creepy on the swing set. All oh, right, man. Okay. Anyway. All right, anyhow, sorry, you're number one again. I apologize for interrupting. Before I get there, everyone, one hundred percent, go watch Vampire's Kiss. Nicholas Cage, <laughs> vampire, so fucking good, horrible, so good. It is horrible. It is horrible. Okay, my number one is Bram Stoker's Dracula, nineteen ninety-two. Okay. Uh, that's very, very fair. Yeah. Yes, I think it is the most. 
It's scary as fuck. It's so scary. There are like yeah. from the opening scene with like young badass Gary Oldman in his like muscle armor. I also fucking like, love Gary of Oldman. Of course, of course. Like from that first moment to and Gary Oldman is so masterful in that movie playing every different iteration of of Count Dracula. Holy shit. He, I mean, he, it's like a master class. That dude can take anything and just, yes. yeah, just run with it and it's, do so well. So, dude, yeah. like, okay, here are my notes. I wrote, Coppola is brilliant all the time. Duh. Gary Oldman is brilliant all the time. Winona Ryder and Keanu <laughs> Reeves are frequently brilliant. <laughs> like, it's, it's just so good. It literally had a 0% yeah. chance of being bad. When they were making it. Like. Oh, I mean, yeah, true. It's always been a favorite. I I'll watch it like you. once a year. Plus, like I mentioned earlier, Tom Waits playing Renfield. Dude. And I mean, if you're not a, to- a fan of Tom Waits in any fashion, get at least. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'll say about Tom Waits. Yep. Yeah. So good. No, that's, it's, yeah, that's, that is a great addition. Unfortunately, that is not mine. Man, it didn't even make your list. It didn't. No, it almost did. It almost see. This is where, like, this is where I get into like the sentimental ones, you know. And maybe I'm just a pussy. I don't Ryan, know. Thirty Days but, of Night like, was on your list, and Bram Stoker's Dracula didn't make it. Because <laughs> the premise, I know, like, the I, idea know. Of it is, I know, like, I it's, know. it's just terrifying. Look, I will say but, your list represents a lot of different facets of of vampire movies. And that's that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I'm into that. True. Okay, you're well, number one. My final, my number one, is actually Queen oh of the Damned. I know. I know you're I knew you're going to I almost to. took my headphones off. <laughs> so like there's there's reasons. It is extremely cheesy. First of all, it has Leah in it, so it's gonna be good. Okay. But so you have Lestat that comes back, right? Uh, forms his band to try and you know awake all and, and to like be like throw like a one up and all the other vampires to like get them to you know like whatever sure. uh, you know uh, intimidate them or you know, basically get them to to come to come yeah. out you know come out to play essentially. But so, but it's like it's very dark. It's very it's very creepy and. It wouldn't have made my list had and not been like so like I remember being back in what was this? This is so this is we were probably a freshman, no 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 sophomore or so in high school, I think when this movie came out. Yeah. And I remember like the first time I actually got a DVD player, right? Yeah. One of the first movies I actually bought was Queen of the Damned. And I watched it over and over and over again. And I just developed a strong love for it that, I mean, to this day, I can probably recite most lines of the movie. Um, And and I know it's not like, it's not the best. Like, and if I was to swap it out, Dracula would probably be one of the ones I'd swap it out with, you know? But the fact that it does have, like, that meaning, and it also has, like, it just... The story, I liked the story. The story was good. Okay. The acting was a little rough. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it was very rocky in most cases, but it was still like, it, it still kind of continued, you know, the story of Lestat and also like just that whole, like that whole thing of bringing, you know, bringing out, I, I want to use the line, bring out your dead, but <laughs> I can't. Okay. <laughs> you know, so it, but regardless, like I said, to me, it was, it was, it was the big one. That's why it's number one. It's uh, purely personal. Yeah, it is, and that's that's all it really comes down okay. to. Um, but I did thoroughly enjoy the movie. I thoroughly enjoyed the story. Like I said, acting was very subpar, but I think everything else made up for it. Look, I'm gonna be that guy who like that annoying guy who hates a movie because they really like the book. I that's fucking fair. hate yeah. that movie just because. I, again, I was an Anne Rice nerd and that was one of my, that's still one of my favorite of the Vampire Chronicle books, right? It's Mm -hmm. still one of my favorites and the movie does not do it justice at it. Not it's, that's an understatement. It's like a mockery of the book. Right. And to me, I never, I never finished the whole series. I mean, I, I got into, I got into Anne Rice a little bit, like, kind of growing you know growing up or when i was i think i was probably like 13 or 14 maybe at the time right after your michael Crichton phase i still am in a michael Crichton phase. (laughs) about (laughs) uh no but yeah uh, yeah 100 percent. and it was like it was kind of short-lived for me like i didn't like deep dive into it like you did right you know so i i think i was maybe more able to appreciate this as for what it was versus you know, I mean, I guarantee like if I would have been much more of a hardcore reader, yeah. um, you know, really like deep dove into like the the actual collection and everything, I'd probably be yeah, right there. Probably. Yeah, because there are so many books. I will argue how great the book is and how shitty the movie yeah. is. But this is one that I I can't yeah. do that. Fair you enough. Know, I actually enjoyed the movie. And again, for what it was, yeah. I um I remember one thing I remember for some reason it stuck with me when the movie was coming out, there was all this hype about how they were going to make Lestat's singing voice. Like how it was going to be this like synthesized amalgam of like Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie and the guy from corn. And they were going to take all their voices and like synthesize them together. It really just sounded like synthesized dog shit in the movie. It was (laughs) terrible. I mean, it literally just sounds. Uh, oh, fucking! What is his name? Uh, old old boy from Corn. Yeah, like, Jonathan that's Davis. Jonathan Davis. There yeah. you go. Like that's yeah. That's all. All the voice came out yeah. to, and that's the part that I really hate about the <laughs> all movie. the new metal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. that and just how cheesy the music portion of it was. Yeah, it really was. But still, I loved the idea around it you know and, and so. being someone who grew up in bands i can't stand when like m- when movies or tv centers around musicians and i can't relate to them at all because they're written so unrealistically you know oh, yeah. like everything they do yeah. nothing they do makes sense like this isn't how actual musicians do things behind the scenes or <laughs> like it's obviously written yeah. by someone who has no idea you know I mean that's that's how all I know. all things are in movies. All different types of activities and hobbies yeah. and 
you know, whatever else, like, you know, are always portrayed just so shittily. Like, whoever wrote that part of the show or the movie, like, probably, like, Googled something and was like, oh, this is what that is, okay, and, like, threw it in, you know. Um, Literally had no actual, like, grasp on what was really going on or what should be there. Yeah, of course. And so, yeah, I'll agree with that. All right, so... That's your list, huh? <laughs> now I feel like I need to rework my Look, list. I'm just... <laughs> Tune in next right. week for a completely revamped list here. Honestly, I'm just like thanking... I'm thanking the gods that the Twilight movies didn't make your list. Oh, no. no. I'm, I'm just really glad. I'm just putting it there. <laughs> I can't lie and say I didn't read the series. I know. It's okay. And that's another one where the books were actually decent and the movies were shit shows. That's all I'm yeah, gonna yeah, say. We'll leave it there. I have yep. I have a few I have a few honorable mentions. Okay. Oh, okay. I have three honorable mentions. Go for one it. One is the 1931 Dracula, Universal Monsters, Bella Lugosi. Grew up watching it with my dad. Super special to me. I can still watch it. Yeah. I'm, in fact, my oldest son and I have been doing a Universal Monsters marathon, movie marathon this awesome. week. And it's, yeah, it's been great. Um, cool. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good addition. So, I mean, because Bela Lugosi's Dracula basically was like the basis for all the, that's what they use for all the like sort of, I mean, I'll just say cheesier like takes on it, yeah. right? Like the cereal box that I was talking about and like mm-hmm. um, Count from Sesame Street and like, you know what I mean? The like, yeah. yeah. Like, I can't help but to think of like Nosferatu at that point though yeah. and how like, I mean, cheesy that is. Dude, there are yeah. scenes from Nosferatu that are still scary as shit. Oh, They're I like, agree. Yeah. yeah. It's, For sure. And that's like, what was that? 27, 1927 that came out. Oh, it was was somewhere around then. Silent. It was was still silent film. Old one. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So my next, my next honorable mention is from 1979. It's Salem's lot. That is a good choice, but that didn't, that was another movie that absolutely terrified me as a kid though. Yes. Um, but it didn't quite make my list because, again, I'm a book nerd, and just like Anne Rice, I have every single Stephen King book ever written, and I of love course. the book Salem's Lot, and it's not quite as good as the book. So, but it is still super good and scary as shit. Still, um, yes, it is very good. I and agree. third honorable mention: Vampire in Brooklyn <laughs> <laughs> from 1995. <laughs> Really? Yes. I'm not going to say it's Dude, bad. When I was a kid, I loved but it. But as an honorable yes. mention, I just think it's, it's funny. Eddie okay. Murphy, it's funny as fuck. Yeah. And it has just enough like little scary moments for me when I was like 10 years old that I really... To appreciate yes. it as almost a yeah. horror movie when it's not Exactly. When I was like 10, right? There was, yeah. enough, like, there was enough in it when I was like 10 to be like, oh shit, this is a little racy. Right, but like, okay, but yep. it was funny as hell. Of course, I mean it's Eddie Murphy in 1995. Of course, oh, yeah. it's funny. Like I said, I'm not gonna say it's not a bad. It's it's not a bad yeah. movie. I am gonna say it's not a bad movie. I'm not gonna say it's a bad movie. There we go. 
Like it is. It, it it's 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 a comedy yeah, though. It is it's definitely oh, yeah. a comedy. It's uh I mean it's definitely not nearly as bad as Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> right. It's um, way better. <laughs> I'm throwing it's that also it's thing. legitimately a comedy movie it's not a, it's not funny because oh, yeah. it's terrible it's it's legitimately a comedy and you know yeah no it was very Shaun well of the dead made and our zombie list so not to say that a vampire right. movie can't be funny right i agree i agree 100 yeah. percent. and i just quickly wanted to mention because it's one of my top five video games of all time castlevania symphony of the night I do love all, all the Castlevania games, especially uh, what was the uh, Super Nintendo Castlevania? I mean, I think several of them were on Super Nintendo, aren't they? You're probably right. I would probably have to look yeah. at this point. Um, but yeah, that, those were also very sentimental games Same. to me. Especially Symphony of the Night. Yep. It's like it was the PlayStation 1 Castlevania yeah. Still a side scroller. They finally took it back from that bullshit sixty four 3D garbage. And I was uh, I'm glad you didn't say Castlevania no, sixty four because that was, was awful. just absolute dog yeah. shit. Yeah. So Symphony of the Night, you play a character called Alucard and he is Dracula's son, right? A little on the nose, mm-hmm. Alucard being Dracula backwards. But like you go through this like castle, you get it's like a, a side scrolling RPG. It's so good. One of my top five video games of all time, hands down. Oh, yeah, I'll give yeah. you that. Like I said, I, I loved the Castlevania series, especially as a kid, um, you know, but yeah, the 64 version was just absolute yeah, shit. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, I was also disappointed when Netflix made their Castlevania anime because I just couldn't get really? into it. Like I, I had so many, like, so many high hopes yeah. for it, but I couldn't It had its it. moments. It was a bit dry, though. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Also, you, I just wanted to like redeem you a little bit because earlier you admitted that Vampire Diaries was a, a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I mean, of course. Yep. Um, so I would like to, I would like to also admit that um, one of my guilty pleasures is um, that that one, that one shitty vampire TV show. Wow, fully drawing a blank. That one shitty vampire. Yeah, yeah, the one with Alexander Skarsgård. True Blood. Yeah. True Blood is so good, though. Like, I I mean... It's still a guilty pleasure. (sighs) It's cheesy as shit. I I agree. I enjoyed it, though. It is very cheesy. I I absolutely loved... I absolutely loved True Blood until... It was, like, roughly the fourth season, maybe the fifth season, where they started to get into, like, the whole Faye aspect and everything. And that just like, like granted they they needed to have Sookie's story, <laughs> but I feel like it was just thrown in there to give Sookie like some reason for her blood just tasting so great, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because that was the thing. Hey, listen to what you just said. Like Eric Northman, Bill Compton, like all the people that actually got to drink from Sookie, like was always like, "There's something about your blood." Yeah, yeah. Nobody knew. I mean, listen to what you just explained. And then it's revealed later on she's a fucking fae. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I know, that's why it's I know. a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I know. But it's, it is good. I'll, I'll, it's I'll so give you cheesy, that. It's yes. so Yeah, I enjoyed it. I watched it, it with my wife. It was one of those where she's like, just sit down and watch an episode with me. And then like, cut to a week later and I'm like, you get turn on True in. Blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. 
Well, see, I, I was hoping that you would redeem yourself and be like, <laughs> look at you. <laughs> but no, I can't because I loved it too. Yeah. You talked about it more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up episode 18, The Vampire of Kroglin Grange. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.